Welcome to the African Tech Roundup. It's episode 19. And today, like every Monday, we round up the week's most important technology, digital, and innovation news from across Africa. My name is Andile Masugu, broadcaster and entrepreneur, and my co-host on the show, as always, is tech entrepreneur and executive editor of iAfrican.com, Defo Mohapi. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Uh, I'm off the flu now, and I think you've got it. You passed it to me. Today is my, actually my, my very first day back at work, well, properly at least, since I last saw you. So thank you very much for nothing. <laughs> it's a pleasure. <laughs> well, if you're new to the show, here's to hoping you don't have the flu at all. You certainly won't be catching it over the airwaves. So uh, if you are new to the show, do head straight to africantechroundup.com to catch up on what you've been missing. And while you're there, sign up for our weekly newsletter and get the podcast sent straight to your inbox every Monday. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle, as always, is at African Roundup. Give us a shout. Let's talk. Let's hear what you think about what's happening in the African tech scene. And of course, a little later on in today's show, we'll talk about the implications of low-cost smartphone penetration on the continent. And we'll determine whether it's something to be excited about. But before we get into that, let's get into this week's news. Now, we start with what some people in the mobile telecom space are calling a game changer. Vodacom South Africa has gone live with its voiceover Wi-Fi feature across South Africa. Uh, it's, it's calling it a game changer is a bit of an exaggeration, really. I think it's pretty dope. Oh, come on. How long have you been using Scarp? I suppose. But I'm talking about in the mobile telecom space. I mean, players in that space generally are in denial about where telecoms is going. So this seems to be a good sign. How long have you had Scarp on your phone? A while. Point taken. Okay, but yeah, I mean, this is good. Uh, they're giving consumers who don't have Skype or who don't have phones that can run Skype or Google Hangouts or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I think it's a bit of an exaggeration from most of the media to call it a game changer. But it's good for Vodacom. Uh, hopefully they don't charge per minute for the voice over Wi-Fi and they just charge you normal uh, voice char- uh, data charges. Yeah, but you bring up something very interesting. You, uh, there's a huge market or huge, a huge population of people who have not been exposed to Skype, who are not smartphone users or on the internet for that matter, who, for whom this is a huge innovation, I guess. No, definitely it is. They, they've never, as you say, they've never been exposed to any of those uh, instant messaging applications with voice. And this would be a big, big, well, I suppose then game changer for them. But then there's Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if that's an admission at all. Well, Facebook's just messing it up for everybody at the moment. Well, uh, to Nigeria next, where the Nigerian Communications Commission has been all teeth this week, living up to everything they promised, uh, where they promised that they would be clamping down on fraudulent SIM card use. And now 10.7 million lines, apparently, uh, on various mobile networks in Nigeria will be deactivated. Well, and topping the list is MTN Nigeria SIM card. I suppose being the biggest player in that in that market, it, it comes as no surprise. But I mean, all the players being implicated with this problem, I suppose they've been happy to allow these SIM cards to carry on, you know, making the money essentially. And the NCC has finally said, uh-uh. interesting enough. I understand this side of the story, but the other side of the story is how does it affect their reporting and how they report their rev- quarterly revenues, quarterly profits and subscribers. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be looking very closely at that. I'd like to know whose key performance area it is to keep those subscriber numbers on the up and whether this means 
that person's not going to be getting a bonus this year. Well, it will be interesting. It will also be interesting to, well, once they report for the next quarter, next financial quarter, to compare the previous quarter and coming quarter in terms of subscribers and see if they were on top of their game as far as active subscribers and active SIM cards were concerned. Or were they just fudging the numbers? Well, and here's to keeping the the mobile operators in Nigeria honest. I mean, there shouldn't be any reason why SIM cards can be used for fraudulent means. The technology exists to prevent it, and they should be doing more. But I think, again, as we've mentioned in previous shows, that uh, the bigger problem for Nigeria is not just fraudulent SIM card use, but having a national identity system. And I think they need to get their act together on that. To Kenya now, where it seems the banks aren't content to let mobile operators currently surfing the mobile money craze take market share without a fight. Yes, the banks are looking to launch their own mobile money services through the joint real-time interbank switch, which will increase competition for mobile money operators such as Safaricoms and Pesa. Well, the banks are saying this development, which they're obviously promoting with some excitement, will bring down costs and bring people on board. I, I think they're basically paying the price for not caring about the masses early on in the game. Yep, I mean, the numbers tell that story, as you say. About 2.5 million money transfer transactions per day in Kenya, and only 3.2% of those are done through banks. That's a lot of money that they technically should have had in their ecosystem by now. But um, I suppose they were making great margins with the business they had. As in many developing nations, the banking fraternity isn't incentivized to sort of onboard the masses unless they can make a ton of money from them. They haven't done that in years past. Technology has allowed fintech disruptors to do that. And now they're like, oh, we should be in. Definitely. And uh, I think it's a little bit late in the game unless they're going to incentivize users to move over to use the bank's uh, mobile money services, especially in Kenya. Or unless they lobby lawmakers to make it very difficult for mobile operators to carry on doing this, which um, I I guess is happening in places like Uganda. Kenya seems to have that whole first mover advantage uh, scenario going for most of their first movers in that space. So I, I don't know if this will work out for them. We'll see. Staying with Kenya now, Uber Kenya says that their user numbers have tripled following the introduction of Uber Cash. Interesting. Uh, I'd love to visit Nairobi and see how this works because this to me sounds like a normal meter cab. But I'd like to see how the whole user experience works from calling the cab on the app and apparently you select cash option on the app and how you pay when you leave the cab and does the cab driver have change and all those dynamics? Doesn't this also play into the argument that tax associations in, in countries like Kenya and, and South Africa have been complaining about? These guys are essentially no longer just a tech play. They really are a conventional cab company of sorts, in a sense. In this case, when they start to take cash, they become a conventional cab company because it, it that whole user experience that they're famous for becomes disrupted. With the and I know with your car being in the shop, you've been using Uber, working like a charm here in Joburg, yeah? Yeah, definitely. No issues at all. Here's to them keeping it up. I know they're under immense stress across the world and their profitability is under question these days. But however, I have a feeling they're going to come out tops eventually. But who knows? It all remains to be seen. Bringing it to where we live, uh, South Africa, the passenger rail agency of South Africa, making news again this week. Sketchy details have emerged regarding the derailment of one of Prasa's 
Afro 4000 locomotives. Very sketchy details. Uh, I, I don't think it's even confirmed yet if it is an Afro 4000. So there are some confirmations on, in the media saying it is Afro 4000. There are some people saying that the Afro 4000 haven't been publicly launched yet. This could be a pilot. This could be not a pilot. This could be journalists looking to sensationalize things and link stories. We don't know at the moment. I think we need to be objective. We, we try our best on the show to be objective. Where they are wrong, like in the case of the chief engineer not having proper qualifications etc we pointed out but in this case the facts are just not there so we can't say as you say whether the accident happened because it is the afro 4000s which are faulty or it's accident as we see every time with uh, south african trains sometimes no deaths reported and here's to hoping the those who are injured will recover very quickly and staying with south africa an interesting milestone being reached with 1 million.co.za domain names being reached yeah, it's quite an interesting milestone reached in terms of registrations. It does show that people are eager to take up uh, internet uh, hosting and internet services, and it's quite good for the country. I also think it says a lot about the country's and indeed the continent's receptiveness to technology and our desire to be part of the global economy via the internet. Yeah, whichever way you look at it, this is good. And then, how can we not talk about this Ashley Madison situation? 175,000 South Africans were also reportedly exposed via the first dump. And that's just the first dump. They apparently on Thursday night released a second dump, which is rumored to be much bigger than the first email dump. So it's it's quite interesting. But interesting enough, there are a lot of government, South African government uh, email addresses on there, police service addresses. It's just a huge mess. Listen, we want to hear from you. If you've been implicated, that would be so much fun. We'd love to find, to hear how you're coping with your life falling apart. I'm definitely a conservative and uh, there's a part of me, a little, little part of me inside there that's just going, what were you thinking even doing that in the first place? Not a good idea to have an affair, I think. But, I mean, this can't be right, surely. Nah, it's not right. I mean, it, it, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm bordering on saying stupid, but yeah, uh, good luck to whoever's implicated in that. How many, I think we sort of jinxed the planet ever since we started the show. We've covered how many hacks? My goodness. I think every show so far. Almost every show we've had. Uh, this is certainly a trend that should be interesting. I, you know, you should put some of your data scientist uh, network at iAfrican on this case and see what the trends might look like across the world in terms of this hacktivism thing. Because these people are obviously on a mission, trying to prove a point, um, an obvious bone to pick. It doesn't quite sound like a disgruntled employee or anything like that. It sounds like someone on maybe some moral crusade or anything like that listen like i say if, if you know any more than we do uh we're obviously reading everything like you but i mean if you've been affected or know someone who has would love to hear from you uh drop us a line on twitter at african roundup i think and this is a conspiracy theory i could be wrong they could be targeting a few high profile individuals who are bundled with all these hundreds of thousands of people and yeah, they, instead of just exposing the details of one to ten people, they rather throw them out with everyone else. Oh, I see. So you think like there's like maybe ten people in the whole planet that's causing literally hundreds of 
thousands of people to suffer along with them. I can't think of any other reason why somebody would do, would hack Ashley Madison and release all the all the emails. It is interesting though that now that you say that that um, it would take a while for people to troll through all this data to find all these big names. Yeah, it's just rough out there. It's just rough out there. So if you're affected, we feel for you. But yeah, don't don't cheat on your spouse. Come on, it's not a good idea. This is it. listen to me preach. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck to you. Huh? And for our final story this week, Google rolling out its Android One program in Nigeria, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Kenya, Egypt, and Morocco uh, with the launch of the Infinix Hot 2 smartphone, which apparently costs just 88 US dollars. But where's Southern Africa in all this? I'm not hearing Zimbabwe, not just South Africa, I'm not hearing Zimbabwe, Botswana, Swaziland, Namibia, Zambia, Malawi. Seems like all the affordable Android phones start off either in Kenya or in Nigeria? Well, I think I think uh, Google is treating this as their sort of informal internet.org-esque project where they actually are trying to target people who aren't on board. I think the, the countries you mentioned are pretty much smartphone heavy. If our stats as a, as a show are anything to go by, we'll watch many of you listening to us on your iPhones and iPads and, of course, your Android smartphones, many of them very high-end. You know, so I do imagine that those countries we just mentioned might have a larger population of people who are ready to to go from feature phone or more ready to go to feature phone, from feature phone to um, to, to smartphone. That's just a theory. That's just anecdotal and it's totally unscientific. But hey, it's quite a theory which needs following up. But I'm also interested to see how this pans out with the whole. On the one hand, you've got Google and Android manufacturers coming out the east giving people very cheap uh, smartphones. On the other hand, you've got Facebook and Zuckerberg's drones that fly up high in the sky and give people free internet. And nowhere in between do we have such efforts for food and water. But then again, we're a tech show. I mean, who needs food and water if you've got the internet, let's be honest? <laughs> yeah, stuff to death whilst hanging onto your phone. That's yeah, and then malaria. I mean, like, like, you know, just you know, get over the malaria as well. Guys... Get smartphones. We need you to listen to the show. Google is promising, quote-unquote, more for your megabytes on affordable, low-RAM smartphone devices. And apparently within the next few months, Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana, and Egypt can look forward to YouTube offline, which Google claims India is totally digging at the moment. That's interesting, talking about YouTube offline. Uh, Google frowns upon people downloading YouTube videos. So that's when you're streaming, there are lots of apps or lots of services you can use to download a YouTube video and watch it offline. They frown upon that. And I'm quite interested to sort of play around with their YouTube offline and see how it stores the video and if it does actually avail the video as a standalone file or if you can convert it if you find the folder as a standalone file because that the argument was that that affects the advertising revenue because if you're watching offline there's no ways they can track uh, who's watching what who's clicking on what links and which ads pop up well according to the the release they put out they say um, the, the the video would be available for 48 hours it basically makes up for the times when you're either out of you know network space or yeah, or network uh, access is really poor and things would buffer 
or there's something you really want to show your mate and you don't have to reload the video and that kind of thing. Uh, interesting. We'll have to dig a little bit deeper there. Yeah, and look, it brings us very nicely to our discussion for this week, uh, which is, you know, just how just how important is this low-cost smartphone penetration to, to, to the continent? And what are some of the implications of what's being called the mass exodus from the feature phone to the smartphone? Interesting. I mean, let's break it down a little bit in terms of what, what makes a smartphone like an iPhone or a Samsung S6 expensive. Two most expensive features are stand to be corrected, but I think this is correct, is the camera. So the quality of the camera determines quite a large portion of how expensive a phone is, the display. So the screen display in terms of the resolution and the size of the display as well. You're speaking in terms of how much it costs, in terms of the cost of the components. The cost of manufacturing that phone, which obviously impacts how much... Uh, they sell them for obviously there's a bit of a premium you pay for something like an iphone because of its good branding and something like samsung because of the good branding as well and the good story they tell then come storage doesn't really cost that much storage prices have been dropping a lot but another cost is the cpu so you'll realize that on your lower end phones like these ones that they literally dumping in africa the processing is pretty slow so and the ram so processing they're not really for super users like yourself and me so it takes long to open applications sometimes some of them don't do multitasking so they they're not really smartphones in that they don't run background jobs so it's those the ram the processor and the camera and the display affect uh, a lot of the cost of the phone so hence they can come and say oh this is a great smartphone so when they come and let's say for example huawei or techno and infinix when they come and say that uh, oh we're a great smartphone which is equivalent to an iphone but at a cheaper price it's not really true i mean that's more a marketing line because definitely they do cut costs somewhere how much of all of this is the the industry the telecoms industry the phone manufacturing industry um just upselling the continent for something they don't need i mean we just made a joke about how we talk about internet use and, and, and smartphone use as if, as if that's some of those are the most critical needs of the continent. I mean, is there, uh, are there millions of Africans who just cannot wait to get their hands on a smartphone because it's going to add just so much value to them? And, or is this just a, a way to sort of make you feel like you're behind the time? There, there is a lot of that, I think, playing around. We obviously need to check the numbers. But also, I think the, the African governments and African industrialists missed the trick here in terms of local manufacturing and local phone brand. If the uptake is as great as Google, as Infinix, as Huawei and all of them are seeing, then we should perhaps be having more local brands being manufactured because let's be honest, uh, we didn't know what Huawei phones were until a couple of years ago. So there's not much of an envy thing of, oh, that's a great brand or we didn't know what techno was until they came and said oh this is a cheaper iphone or something like that so i think the the local industrialists across the continent and governments missed the trick here and of course once you open a lot of these phones the components all come from the same place and in the case of huawei they just well they're in pretty much every smartphone on the planet in some way or, or form there was nothing to stop local minds and inventors and brand makers in in, in harnessing this this trend yeah, I, I fully agree. I mean, we missed a trick. The only difference might be Xiaomi. Yeah. Xiaomi. Thank you, our Chinese brothers. <laughs> Let us know how to pronounce it if you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's being punted as the Chinese iPhone competitor, but again, at a lower cost. So I'm quite keen 
on Friday, just this past Friday, they just announced that they're launching in Africa in uh, in September. So quite interested to see where they'll be launching in which countries. They've clearly or hopefully done their research. So they also feel that they're missing out on this big uptake of smartphones on the continent. So on one hand, if we if we putting if we pit you know the big boys against each other, in my mind, Google versus Facebook, Facebook making a play for making sure people have access to the internet doesn't matter what kind of phone keep your feature phone we'll make sure that you can access your facebook and and anything that actually matters to sort of improving your well-being as a citizen of the world in terms of education we'll make sure that your feature phone can have you access the very best then we've got google going listen um let's invest in the hardware um let's make it enviable um, let's partner with um, manufacturers and maybe conquer the world that way. Uh, do you think thinking about it like that is, is accurate? Yeah, it sums it up pretty much. But also I'll, I'll keep hammering on the point that I think we missed a trick as, as, as Africa in terms of manufacturing our local phones. There's nothing that stopped us from manufacturing like Jola, which came out of uh, Nokia X employees creating a new smartphone. Africa somewhere, anybody, South Africa, Nigeria, could have created their own phone and manufacture it what you get instead is a lot of the guys are branding phones so on a smaller scale you get my phone there's one called my phone where they brand a phone manufactured in the east and they bring it here as a local brand obviously it's locally owned etc but it's still manufactured so why i say we missed the trick because that would also affect job uh, job creation because you bring a phone manufacturing plant locally and with a booming uptake of smartphones and the boom that's expected from feature phones to smartphones uh, this would make sense i don't know how the numbers look in terms of margins it make but i think there is money there let us know what you think uh, wherever you are in africa tell us what you're observing in terms of trends are people excited by the notion of you know trading in their feature phones for a smartphone are they content to hang on to their feature phone and um as long as it's got internet access and allows them the very basic access to, to, to information. WhatsApp, I suppose, being one of the main things that people look for. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about what you're observing. Is it hype? Uh, are we being sold uh, a story that's making us want things that we don't really need? Or perhaps is this just the way of the future? Tell us what you think. Uh, give us a shout on Twitter at African Roundup. Uh, the hashtag to use is ATRU. Well, folks, that's the show for this week. Until next week, it's cheers from me, Andile Masugu, and... Defo Mohapi, but please phone manufacturers. Stop saying your phone is a cheaper version of an iPhone. It just makes people want the iPhone more. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. <laughs>